welcome to this week's episode of Renoites. Renoites is the weekly interview podcast where I, Connor McQuibby, talk to all sorts of folks who are doing interesting or important work here in northern Nevada. A little bit of everyone. The idea is that this can be the podcast for everyone in Reno. If you live in Reno and you listen to podcasts, you will probably find episodes of interest to you. This week's guest on the show is a repeat guest, Mike Van Houten from Downtown Makeover. We did an episode a couple of years ago with Mike about his blog, Downtown Makeover. He tracks so much of what is happening in the development world downtown. Whenever new buildings pull permits, whenever there's new plans out, he's usually reporting on those things when no one else is. Really, really a great resource. And today's episode is just kind of a recap of multiple projects that are happening in Reno. In just recent days, the City Center project has lost its main backer, and it looks like it's going up for an auction. There's obviously a lot going on in the world of development here in the Reno area, so it was great to be able to talk to Mike and get the latest. This is the last episode of this season of Renoites. I'm going to be taking a break from my normal episodes, but I'm still going to be doing the live episodes and some mini episodes from the Riverside Farmer's Market. Lots of stuff. But I'm taking a break from the full episodes, and that means it is time for me to plan for next season. If you have suggestions for guests you would like to hear on the podcast, now is a great time to let me know. Send me an email, Connor, C-O-N-O-R, at renoites.com, or a message on Instagram, also a good way to get a hold of me. That's at renoites on Instagram. And now, this week's guest, Mike Van Houten. Mike Van Houten from Downtown Makeover, welcome back to Renoites, a return guest to the show. Good to have you back on the show. Hey, thank you. It is, I think, been probably almost a couple of years since you were on the show, maybe at least a year and a half or so, and a lot is always happening in Reno. Can we start by telling a little bit about what Downtown Makeover is? So we talked a lot about Downtown Makeover, kind of the, the purpose of it on your last appearance on the show. Sure. But for folks who didn't listen to that one, can you just tell me what Downtown Makeover is and uh, why you do it? Absolutely. Downtown Makeover is a redevelopment blog that has been tracking the downtown projects and activities in downtown Reno and more recently Midtown and Wells Avenue for about 18 years now. I uh, moved to Reno probably about 20 years ago, 25 years ago, and I saw the need to promote our downtown and nobody was really doing it at the time. We didn't have a downtown Reno partnership or an improvement association at the time. So I kind of stepped in and and wanted to promote my neighborhood and everything that was uh, going on in it. Excellent. And so what do you mostly track on downtown makeover? Is it the current status of developments and what's been proposed for downtown? And it's not just development stuff, too. I feel like you also report on things like redistricting and some of the mm -hmm. kind of like general local politics. Yeah, pretty much anything that would be of interest to someone living in downtown uh, Reno or central Reno. I really kind of designed and catered the site to people who would be interested in that topic because it's their neighborhood and they would like to know what's actually going on in their own neighborhood. And so that's kind of my target audience. And so anything from studies, public input sessions, projects that might affect them as a neighborhood or affect downtown as a neighborhood, whether it's just a little fourplex or something giant like Reno City Center. Mm -hmm. This episode is mostly going to be to talk about some of these current projects, especially since a lot's changed since the last time you were on the show. We may mm -hmm. have talked about City Center in the very early stages of it. And Lately, there's been a bunch of news around City Center, around the, uh, West, what is it, Westland apartment complex down there on First Street, right across from the, uh, behind the movie theater, basically, First and West Street. Just in the last couple of days, I guess that has a new permit for a bunch of new units, uh, I guess, or maybe it's remodeling. But anyways, so there's a lot of current projects to talk about. Where should we start? What's the most important thing happening in Reno development right now? Is it City Center's? Uh, seeming collapse? <laughs> I would say we could start with Reno City Center um, and its seeming uh, collapse because it probably has the most significant impact on downtown currently more so than any other project that is being developed just because of its sheer size. It's one million square feet and now it's, its fate kind of hangs in the, in the balance of what happens in the next few weeks. For people who are not familiar with that, that's the Harrah's project. Can you talk a little bit about the background of that project and what it was before this current stage of it? Sure. Um, it was Harrah's, of course. It was the flagship uh, property of Harrah's. I think it was the first property that Bill Harrah uh, had developed in Tahoe, Reno, or uh, Vegas. 
Um, I'm sure Elisa Barber can correct me on that if I'm wrong. Um, and so it, it fell into a little bit disrepair. It, it became kind of a property that they just had to maintain and, and keep open. And they weren't really investing any capital improvement projects into it for, gosh, maybe 15 uh, past 20 years or so. And so Caesars Entertainment came and uh, bought it from them. It was part of an overall deal when uh, Caesars expanded their property portfolio. And so when Caesars bought it and they acquired some other property, I can't remember exactly what it was. I think it was in Vegas or um, Reno. The gaming board said, okay, well, you have to sell Harris and that gaming license if you want to um, expand so it's not a monopoly. And so they, they sold Harris to uh, CAI investments who wanted to turn it into a mixed-use project. I think 530 apartments, an office space, and a retail space on the bottom. Mm -hmm. uh, unfortunately, they started the project at the absolute wrong time. I think three weeks after they started it, the pandemic hit uh, full force, shut everything down, shut their project down. Uh, as soon as they opened, then we had that horrible fire season, and then that shut them down even more or for an even longer period of time. Then they ran into the supply chain issues that our entire nation faced as, as a result of the pandemic. So every wrong thing that could happen to that project ended up happening to that project and delayed it for you know over a year. And then uh, CAI Investments recently announced that they are selling their 10% stake in their project to their partner. I believe it's Griffin Investments. They're basically out of the project at this point. And not long after that, a tipster forwarded me like an announcement of a sale on the New York City Supreme Court house steps of one of the primary loans of that project. And that's where a lot of questions are now coming into play. Is the project for sale? Is it just one of the loans that is for sale? Is it the portion that CAI Investments had in that project that's for sale? And uh, all work during this whole process has completely stopped. There's you know, construction liens, uh, contractor liens now filed on the project. Nobody's working on it. Uh, people need to get paid who aren't getting paid. So that's kind of the status of, of where it's at. Nobody's really talking. I know Jason Hidalgo from RGJ has reached out to all the parties and is trying to kind of develop a story on what's going on. But uh, as expected, you know, no one's really talking. Right. Do you know when this is supposed to happen, this like auction or this ability to, to sell off part of it? September. Uh, yep, the, the announcements, uh, I can't remember the exact date. It's on uh, Downtown Makeover, but it's in September, the sale of this loan or essentially the project on the courthouse steps. Now, this project had three different loans. Two other ones I have no idea the status of, if they're also going to be sold off, if they were combined into this to sell the whole project off, if Griffin Investments is also just going to kind of walk away from it the way that, you know, Westfield Mall in San Francisco walked away from their property and basically handed the keys over to their their mortgage lender and said, we're done. Here you go. Here's the property. We're, you know, we're walking away. It could be any one of those, you know, scenarios. Now, yeah. Chris Bevor, the, the CEO of Harris, has stated that he is walking away from the project or, or was bought out because now Griffin Investments wants to add a hotel component to the project. And Chris is saying that's a conflict of interest with his Kempton project downtown, mm. which is also a hotel. Okay, gotcha. So is the expectation that between now and September, we'll get a lot more details about what actually is going up for sale, who is likely to be moving into this project if someone's going to be taking over and doing something similar or something different is that the expectation that you'll know more for september and that we'll have a better idea of what the potential future for this project is i really hope so and i really i really hope we don't have to wait as long as september because now this project is pretty much dead in the water we don't even know the direction it's headed in now if it's actually going to remain the vision that cai investments had you know, most people I chat with feel very little hope that they are going to be able to fill a three-story office space, but it could happen. You know, are they pivoting to a hotel now um, with their second tower? 
Uh, it's a great opportunity. The project has basically completely gutted. You know, CAI Investments did all the hard stuff, asbestos abatement that took almost a year to do. They, you know, removed a lot of the interior walls that were non-load bearing. So it's basically a shell ready to go. And it would be a great opportunity if someone happened to come in and snatch it up. I just don't want it to end up in limbo, you know, like the King's End did um, mm-hmm. for decades. Yeah, I heard someone suggest that perhaps the Reno Housing Authority might have an ability to work with them because I know there was a proposal from Jacobs Entertainment back when they were talking about the Neon Line District uh, potentially creating workforce housing on one of the Jacobs properties. And that, I guess, fell through. I don't know the reasons why, but there was earlier talk of Reno Housing Authority kind of making a big investment in a lot of workforce housing. And this is now an empty space that could mm-hmm. be used for workforce housing, right? Is there any yep. possibility of that? Or do you know anyone from RHA has been talking about this as a potential opportunity to actually make that a go? I think the developments of this story are so new that I don't know if they've had a chance to even think about that yet because all of this just broke within the last week or so. Mm-hmm. I hope that they take a, a good look at that. I don't know if they can afford you know, the $138 million that that uh, announcement said was the outstanding loan. But then again, this is an auction. And so someone could theoretically go in and bid $5 on this project if they wanted to. It's just a matter of, you know, if the, if the project is truly up for sale and it's not just one of the loans up for sale uh, for someone to buy, which loans are shopped and bought and sold all the time, mortgages are, I would hope it would be something that RHA could look at if it's, if the price is right. And you mentioned the Kempton project too. So this is the same mm-hmm. uh, same developer and that project's been kind of in limbo for a really long time as well. Mm-hmm. Can you talk a little bit about what that Kempton uh, project is? It's next to Wingfield Park. Can you, you kind of give us an update on what's been happening with that or if there's any movement on absolutely. it? Absolutely. Uh, the Kempton is a mixed use hotel project. It's going to have condos on the top. The design is constantly changing, but the last design iteration that I saw, it was, I think, 46 condominiums on the top of the tower and the rest of it as a hotel and then some retail. And I believe they nixed a good portion of the office component just because of the way the the market is right now when, you know, work from home and and offices around the country right now are kind of um, in trouble. And so what happened with that is, is that uh, they had their grand, their, their groundbreaking, quote unquote, about a year ago or over a year ago, and they were supposed to break ground on it. They submitted their mass grading permit to basically build up the first few floors of the, the tower to make it even on Court Street, because if anybody's familiar with that property, the Island Avenue is area is significantly lower than the court street area up on the top of the hill. Oh, yeah. So they were going to um, grade all that out and even it out. But then something happened. Apparently, if you look at the notes of the permit, there was something to do with a sewer relocation. The sewer along Island Avenue for this project basically had to be completely relocated. And there were multiple parties involved with that, not just the Kempton, because everybody, um, including Park Tower, the, the uh, Catholic Church, and I believe a couple of houses that are up on the, the corner of Arlington and Court Street share mm. that sewer main. And um, apparently it got cut up. And I'm, I'm not sure what. The, the permit doesn't really go into that much detail. But I do know that it has caused a nine-month delay on the project while this all gets sorted out. According to um, what I have heard on the rumor mill, it's still a go and the project is still a go if they can figure out this sewer relocation issue that involves multiple parties. And I believe the city of Reno at this point has gotten involved. The good news is I did see a sewer permit for Park Tower and 260 Island Avenue, um, which is the historic offices right next to Park Tower. Hmm. So they're obviously up to something now. So I really hope, you know, all we could do is take CAI investments at their their word and what they tell us and that the project is still going to go forward. And hopefully, truly, that, you know, it's going to be built out because Harris was apparently a conflict of interest for him. So mm. 
Before we go on to other projects, how are you feeling about development in the downtown area in general right now with a couple of projects feeling kind of stalled and delayed? But then there's also a lot of things since the last time we talked that feel like they're either opening or near opening, like the mod two, which is right mm-hmm. down down, I think is very close to being open. It looks like it, at least from the outside. Uh, yep. What's your general thought on the development that's that is happening? Do you think that these big delays are catastrophic or are they things that we're going to be able to work around? What's your general read on kind of development in the last year or so? Well, I think the Kempton isn't really going to affect downtown one way or another. You know, there weren't a lot of catalyst projects that were depending on it being built that were going to just, you know, suddenly shoot off this uh, new development phase. It was kind of its own beast. It was its own entity. So whether it gets built or not, I really don't think it would really affect downtown very much adversely if it never happened. You know, there's a lot of people I know who hope it doesn't happen (laughs) uh, just because of the sheer size of it. I'm really excited about the other developments happening. You know, despite the troubles with Reno City Center and the Kempton, there are still a lot of other units being built downtown, probably more so than even the first redevelopment phase that we had in 08 and 09 before the the big crash happened. Um, You know, we have the Vintage at Washington Station. It's an affordable housing project for seniors. It's currently under construction. It's going to be 205 affordable units downtown. And then you have 126 Winter Street just started, 64 units, five-story building, It's currently under construction just a block south of the vintage at Washington Station. Uh, The Mod 2 is just now leasing units, and I'm excited about that. That's 88 more people downtown. That's going to bring, hopefully, people downtown to live. Eden Tower just opened up on Ralston Avenue. It's a Mm -hmm. smaller project, but it's a really cool project. The units are all studios, but they're kind of like bi-level studios, so they feel a lot bigger than they are. Um, you know, excited about that project. I saw that Jacobs finally broke ground on their apartment project on the corner of Arlington and Second. And by breaking ground, I mean actually going vertical, you know, not just holding hmm. a ceremony. They're actually now installing rebar, concrete, things like that. So that's kind of exciting. You know, that'll be 60 more units. There's another affordable housing project downtown on 4th Street called the Gin Den, which is kind of a unique They're calling it an intergenerational affordable housing project. It's not a traditional development. I think they're aiming for rents to be at $500 a month. So that's kind of an exciting project that's already broken ground. Um, Another exciting project that's not downtown, but in Midtown is the Best Bet Lodge. That's at uh, 941 South Virginia Street. Uh, Kramer Investments was working on that. And then they just put the whole project up for sale right in the middle of it. Luckily... The people who own Strummel Gallery bought that and immediately resumed construction on it. And so no word on if they're going to kind of maintain the same vision that Kramer had on just making traditional apartments or if they're going to do something more cute and boutique or mm-hmm. you know, what. One, one thing that I've heard about that recently, so that is right next to the Emerson and Tyler Colton, who's the owner of the Emerson, was just on the Our Town Reno podcast talking about that specific project, that it is going to be, I believe, a boutique hotel that has kind of like a, a spa kind of like vibe or atmosphere. And the Emerson is apparently going to be like the lobby bar, similar to how the the Jesse in their other project in the brewery district works. So I don't know oh, physically what cool. that space is going to look like, but that's the latest that I've heard on it is that it is going to yeah, be kind of a boutique hotel and partnering with the Emerson to kind of work together on that. That'll be awesome. That'll be yeah. that'll be a great project. And we also have a lot of projects in the uh, Wells Avenue area, um, which is usually an area that doesn't see a lot of development. We have the uh, 320 Grand Canyon just got completed. They're leasing out apartments now. They're billing themselves as higher-end apartments. So it's kind of a big step in a different direction for the Wells Avenue area, who traditionally doesn't see that kind of a higher end product. Also, 597 Grand Canyon uh, uh, Boulevard also is going to be a higher end product with 14 townhouses and uh, 12 apartments. And then you have the two Vesta Street projects uh, where the charter school used to be. That's going to be two buildings, 26 units and 14 units. And then on the reverse side, another 10 unit complex. And then a little bit on the more unusual side, there's 
going to be two rehab facilities that are going to be built right on Wells Avenue. Um, one of them is going to have uh, 20 beds uh, and one of them is going to have 10 beds. One of mm-hmm. them looks like it's going to be for women and the other one is just kind of a general uh, rehab facility uh, right there on off of Mill Street on uh, Wells Avenue. Hey there, I hope you're enjoying this episode of Renoites with Mike Van Houten. Just taking a moment to let you know that the Reno News and Review is doing their Best of Northern Nevada, and voting is open. And one of the candidates for Best Local Podcast is this one, Renoites. If you have a moment, I would greatly appreciate your support in going to vote.renonr.com and filling out the ballot. Fill out at least 10 different votes for different categories so that your ballot will be counted and make sure to vote for Renoites as Best Local Podcast. It would be really fun to win and be a great way for me to let more people know about the show. It just takes a couple minutes and I would really appreciate your help. Thank you. Now back to the episode. So I know there's there's projects all around these different neighborhoods. You know, you mentioned Midtown Wells. We didn't talk about the ballpark apartments too, which seem like they're coming along and that's a enormous project, right? That's hundreds of units, I believe, right? Yeah, that's 368 units at the uh, ballpark apartments, and that's just for phase one. And then their phase two is going to be right along the river south of uh, 2nd Street, uh, and that'll be another 300 and something units. They're done with framing, and they're um, you know working on actually building out the, the apartments now. I hope that that project succeeds as envisioned, because I know that they were really banking on all of the retail of Reno City Center to support it. Um, And so, you know, being next to Reno City Center was going to probably be a selling point of Mm. of the ballpark apartments, along with being next to the ballpark, of course. But, uh, you know, all of the the retail that's in uh, Reno City Center, uh, the people living at ballpark apartments presumably would support that retail. Yeah. Do you think that having them there will maintain the demand for the type of retail that city center was going to do? Even if city center doesn't have it, might that create more demand for some of these like vacant souvenir shop spaces downtown that are right around the corner? Even if city center doesn't happen as fast as the ballpark, do you think that the ballpark can kind of still drive a little bit of that other development? I I would think so. You know, that's going to be, if you have two people living per unit, you know, close to 600 people that are going to be downtown in East downtown, an area that really doesn't have a lot of residential development around that area, maybe along 4th Street, hopefully we'll see some retail and commercials develop to support that area. Otherwise, it's going to kind of be a little bit of an orphaned project until something comes along to support the people that are living there because the project itself doesn't have a lot of retail space. I think there's one or two spots along the Evans Avenue side facing the ballpark, but nothing really to you know support the people who, who are going to be living in that. Yeah, I had Alicia Barber on earlier this season to talk about historical preservation. And I know you know Alicia and I've worked mm-hmm. with her a little bit on some of the reporting. Can you talk a little bit about the historical preservation part of all of these projects? Is there anything that is putting historic properties at risk? I know that with the motels with Jacobs, that was a big part of the conversation is tearing things down before mm-hmm. you're building things. So of all these projects that are happening right now, Are any of them a threat to kind of historic properties or how does the historical preservation tie into all this development that's going on right now? Well, Jacobs Entertainment just filed permits to pour the foundations for the Nystrom House and the Scientology House, two historic houses that they've basically had on stilts this entire time ever since they removed them from their original homes. Um, So that's kind of exciting, but it also has the historical community a little bit on edge because they don't know exactly what they're going to do with these properties, where they're going to put them. They have a general idea somewhere around the gold and silver end. Jacobs wants to develop a little kind of historic center with, with, that incorporates the gold and silver and these two homes. And it would be kind of like the ending point for his zip line that he wants to Mm, build mm -hmm. off of one of his towers, if that ever happens. So they have, they're a little bit on edge of what they're going to do with these homes just because Jacobs historically (laughs) does pun intended, does not have um, a good track record preserving a lot of the buildings that 
the historical society and hist- historical preservationists wish were preserved. The other big one, just recent, as in like a couple of days ago recent, would be the Westland Apartments on West Street uh, that was formerly Ross Manor. It was previously owned by Roberta Ross, and she really took good care of the property. It was kind of like her baby. I mean, it was in her name, you know, Ross Manor, to the point where she got very protective over the residents there and often got into shouting matches. And I guess you would say um, violation matches with the five star because of the noise uh, that would bother the residents there. So there was some conflicts there that, you know, she was very protective over the residents. And once she sold it, at least from what I can tell from comments on my own website and what I've heard and reviews um, on like apartments.com, the place went downhill pretty quickly after that, after she sold it. Uh, Now there's a permit and the wording on the permit is very vague. It basically says to provide for 86 units. So it's unknown whether they're going to add an addition to the building, which they wouldn't need a new quote-unquote construction permit if, if it was attached to the building. They would just need a remodel permit. Or if they're converting the 151 efficiency units inside the building itself down to 86 full-on apartments. Because most of the building were efficiency units. You know, There was like shared bathrooms on each floor. You know, most of the units didn't even have bathrooms or kitchens. And so they're a little concerned what's going to happen, how much of the inside is going to be demolished for this project, or if they're going to add something, you know, weird looking in the courtyard onto the building. Um, mm. Yeah, because that's got like <laughs> almost a big, like a tumor or something. <laughs> I was going to say it's like it's got this big open courtyard that is it's nice and it sets the building back from the street, but it is an underutilized space potentially. But it's a Ooh. weird uh, a weird space to try to build something in, I would imagine. It is, but you know, could be done. I, I, there's not much limit in downtown Reno in terms of setbacks and um, what you can do there. I am guessing they are going to convert the building into 86 full-on apartments rather than efficiency units because they can ask more for rents that way. But how much of the building is damaged in this process or what? historic preservationists would consider damage is up in the air. And I know they're really worried about it. Mm -hmm. With all of the buildings coming online, all these units coming online, how much are we gaining as far as actual units compared to the things that we're losing? Like if the Westland goes from a hundred and something down to 80 something, that's lost units. The Mm -hmm. Jacobs development, it's going to take them a long time to build the what is it, three to 600? I can't remember how mm-hmm. many units they've torn down. Are we gaining enough residential units to keep up with? I mean, obviously we're not. Uh, how far <laughs> no. away are how far away are we from gaining enough units to actually keep up with the demand of people moving here? Well, according to Edon, we are about 10,000 units away from actually having the supply that we need to support the demand of, of companies that are moving here. Now, the, you know, that's a, a fluctuating number, it would seem to me. There is always the chance that companies decide to stop moving here because we can't provide the housing fast enough that they need. And they pick somewhere else that already has 5,000 units ready to go, you know, for relocating their employees or, or hiring in a whole new region. Um, so that, I think, is going to continue to be a challenge. There's a constant stream of announcements of new manufacturing facilities out in the Reno Tahoe Industrial Center. It's helping things, but it's not helping things at -hmm. the same time. I guess some good news is that central Reno is not the only area that is being built out. You know, if you travel out on Pyramid Highway, you'll see legions of new suburbs being built out out there. Downtown Sparks is building out um, dense residential as quickly as they can. Gosh, probably seven or eight apartment projects have come online in downtown Sparks. So that does help ease it. But yeah, we're we're a long way away from being able to, to provide the supply that we need. One of the things you mentioned was downtown doesn't have a lot of requirements or restrictions around things like setbacks and parking requirements. I don't mm-hmm. know what that zone is that allows for that kind of more flexible development. But can you just talk a little bit about how that makes a difference in what developers decide to do and make their projects more profitable? 
for people who are not familiar with kind of building code stuff, can you just explain like what setbacks are and why parking requirements sure. are good or bad? Sure. Setbacks are the spaces that are between the sidewalk and the actual wall of the building. You know, when you're walking along downtown Reno, a lot of the buildings like Circus Circus or Woolworths, they go right up to the edge of the sidewalk. Whereas other buildings that are being built out that are just outside of that downtown zone, for example, the Arlington Apartments, because they're just outside of the downtown district, they had to provide a 32-foot setback between the sidewalk and the edge of their building, which even hardcore downtown enthusiasts would agree that's a little bit of excessive. And I think that since then got that resolved with uh, the building department. But that just kind of gives you an idea of what's required outside of the downtown area compared to inside. And I don't know the exact maps of the zoning districts themselves, but I know the downtown core itself, you don't have to have uh, parking requirements for a business. That really pertains more to commercial side than the residential side, because even though you don't have to provide parking for residential spaces, let's face it, we're still a driving society and most people Mm -hmm. would not want to live in a place that didn't have a place for you to park a car. You know, there are some exceptions, like when Ross Manor was at its peak, they had a lot of Europeans that were traveling through America that stayed there almost like a more high-end hostel who didn't need cars or, you know, older residents downtown who weren't driving anymore, who didn't need cars. But most people want a space for their cars. So Mm -hmm. uh, even though it's not required, most downtown projects will still provide at least one parking space per resident. But the downtown businesses don't. Like if you wanted to open a bar downtown, you don't have to provide parking for it. Whereas if you open a bar in Midtown, you have to provide for a certain number of parking spaces or you go get a special use permit and ask the planning commission to forego that. Got it. So speaking of Midtown and parking and how we're dealing with cars in Midtown, the other thing that Tyler from the Emerson talked about on the Our Town Reno podcast was the median in Midtown. And I know that's been a conversation Mm -hmm. recently, too, where the mayor has said she wants to remove the median from at least part of that in Midtown. But my Mm -hmm. understanding is it is there because it was a condition of receiving some federal funds for doing this work or maybe state funds. I can't remember which. Mm -hmm. So can you talk a little bit about the current status of what's happening in Midtown with the median, what people want to do? What do you think is the, the right way to go with that stretch of Midtown? Sure. It's hard to know legally what the city can do because no one's really saying legally what the city has the right to do and not do. I know the the general thinking is with Tyler uh, Colton and the mayor is, is that now that the project is done, now that RTC no longer has uh, control over it or really a say in it, that they believe that they can remove those medians. I would love to make sure that that's actually the case because you know the UNR traffic study mentioned that the medians actually have cut down on the number of left turn accidents going through Midtown. And so me as a pedestrian walking through Midtown before that median was in place, it could be a little bit dicey. I often felt like I was dodging traffic and cars that were trying to make left turns before you know the next car came along in the opposite direction and, and they missed their chance. And so I can see both sides of it. <laughs> At the risk of being unpopular in Midtown, I sort of feel like some of the businesses in Midtown are making a bigger deal out of this than it actually is. I know Tyler runs a very successful bar and I don't know how much of a real issue it is that people can't turn left into that particular bar or not, how much of an issue it actually is. I'd like to actually see a study done um, Hmm. before we go through and remove all these medians that may have made traffic safer in other ways that people aren't thinking about. Um, For me, it's no big deal to go down to the roundabout and make a U-turn and go back up the street to find a parking space or to... um, make the turn that I need to turn. But if it really is legitimately affecting these businesses and they're you know, at risk of closing because of it, then I do think something should be done. According to RTC, it was a requirement of the funding that the medians you know, go in. So now that it's done and the funding is paid for, maybe we could remove them. 
Can you tell me, just as a Midtown resident who walks mm-hmm. and also drives, can you talk a little bit about Reno White's tendency to demand parking immediately in front of the business they're going to? Because <laughs> I've lived in other cities where it is very normal to park a block or two away. You park around the corner, you park on the next street over, and you walk to where you're going. And I think there's this perception that there's no parking in Midtown. And you live in Midtown. Mm-hmm. So is there parking in Midtown if you're willing to park a block away? Is this a cultural thing for us in Reno that we're just stubborn about where our parking goes? <laughs> Can we change the the car culture and the walking culture? Is that an easier fix than you know trying to create parking spaces when there's not really a space for them? How do you deal with parking when it's a cultural issue as much as a infrastructure issue? That is a million dollar question, isn't it? <laughs> I can see both sides of this. Uh, you know, having lived in larger cities myself, as, um, including Los Angeles, which is probably the worst city to try to find parking in in the United States, aside from maybe New York, I have a big city mentality. I'm used to walking a half mile to get to a business that I want to get to. Being fitness-minded, I also like to get my steps in. And so I'm also the type of person that will park farther you know, away from the location of business than I want to just to get some steps in. But not everybody's like that. And we have to remember that Reno is still only a town of about 220, 230,000 people by itself, not including Sparks. So I get and have to respect the small town mentality which is Reno always used to be a place where you could pull up to a business and park. You know, even before Midtown was Midtown, if you needed to go to a spot in Midtown, chances were you could pull right up to the front of the business um, and park. Um, but, you know, um, things change. Cities get bigger. Cities get denser. And I do believe that people have to learn a new mentality of parking on Center Street, parking on Forest Street, parking on St. Lawrence Street, Tahoe Street. They were all reconfigured to actually provide more parking spaces than what the project actually started with. They're just in different locations. They're not right in front of the business. So um, I think it's going to take a part of the businesses themselves to train their customers to park um, a little bit further away. Maybe they can even offer rewards or something. I don't know, but something has to change there because, you know, the days of being of parking right in front of the business that you want to go to in central Reno are diminishing. And mm-hmm. as they, well, they should be. If a city is going to grow, it should grow most densely in the center of the city, which is Midtown, downtown, Wells Avenue. People say there's nowhere to park in downtown either, even though there are thousands of free parking spaces <laughs> and parking garages downtown, uh, whether it's the Calneva garage, the, the city parking garage, most of the casino parking garages are free. And, and you know, God forbid you have to pay 2 or $3 for parking, even if you have to go to the paid parking garage. So mm-hmm. I'm used to paying 20 to $30 <laughs> SF and, and Los Angeles for parking. So it's just a mentality that has to change over time. I hope that uh, people's mentality do change a little bit. It does hurt the businesses when you have the mentality, I'm not going to go to that business if I can't park right in front of it. Well, you know, maybe the business has an amazing product that you're missing out on just because you don't want to walk a block. So I really encourage people to walk. Yeah. Another project that's come online since the last time we talked is the Reno Public Market and a lot of the residences at the Reno Entertainment District, the Red across the street Mm -hmm. there at Plum and Virginia. So I think Red was just barely open last time we talked. And since then, they've opened a couple additional buildings. And the Reno Public Market has been a huge project to turn Shopper Square into this kind of upscale food hall. Have you been to the Reno Public Market? This is, you know, also kind of in your neighborhood, this South Midtown. Can you talk a little bit about that area of Midtown, that kind of South End that's part Wells, part Midtown, close enough to Midtown to be walkable, but it also feels like it's on a pretty heavily trafficked, you know, roadway there. So Mm -hmm. what do you think of those projects and how are they kind of integrating themselves into those neighborhoods? Uh, I think Reno Public Market is a, a great urban redevelopment project that took a Uh, slowly failing mall and made it into something 
really unique and, and special. I think the food hall is a great product. I like that all of the vendors in there are local. Also, most of them, I think, also run food trucks, that they have a permanent outlet there. Uh, and, and to see it successful is pretty awesome because I remember Combro, which was Whitney Peak after Fitzgerald's, but before Whitney Peak, they attempted to do the same thing. They had um, vendors, uh, multiple restaurants and bars on their first floor of the Fitzgerald's. And for one reason or another, it just failed. It didn't work. People weren't interested. Uh, I don't know if it was marketing or what, but it, it didn't work. So I, I had in the back of my head the whole time Reno Public Market was being built out. Gosh, I really hope it doesn't you know, turn out the same way. I really hope there's enough retail and everything to support people coming to eat and drink at a mall, basically. But it seems to be working. And they got some really good stores in there. I love the snowboard shop in there. The female snowboard shop in there. Mm -hmm. uh, I love Wild Market. Junkie is now moving over there, and so they'll they'll have a, some strong anchors. I think a brewery is going in there. I saw a pet store, pet station coming soon sign going in there, and something called Blue Zone Sports going in where the ice cream shop used to be, Coldstone Creamery. So oh, right they're on. filling out their their retail spots pretty quickly in there, which is good to see. You know, you don't want to have a new property sit there empty for years. And all of that will also help Reno Experience District as well. All of those residents, I'm sure, love having a Sprouts across the street, um, love having Reno Public Market across the street to go grab a drink or something to eat. And Midtown in general, you know, all the bars in Midtown are really only less than a half mile away from uh, Reno Experience District. So I'm, I'm hoping that if I was promoting Reno Experience District uh, as a, a property, I would really be selling the midtown aspect of it because to my knowledge none of reno experience district's retail portions are leased out yet so all their retail is still empty mm. is there hope that as reno public market building an area builds up that they will also be able to open retail kind of on their side as that neighborhood develops I really hope so. You know, I, I haven't seen what their asking prices are for those retail spaces. They're brand new. So I'm imagining they are uh, more expensive than, say, some of the places that might be in Midtown or Wells Avenue for commercial spaces. So it could be pretty slow going trying to find the perfect tenants for those spots because they have to ask a lot more because, you know, the Emory costs $60 million to build just that one apartment building and its retail spots alone. So they really need to get it, you know, they're bang for their buck in terms of leasing rates. Mm -hmm. So speaking of commercial lease rates, you mentioned that Junkie is moving to Arena Public Market, and that's a giant space there in Midtown. Mm -hmm. And Recycled Records just moved out of Midtown. And that was kind of a big story because they've been there for a really long time. And yep. that space has been advertised as available to rent for a little while now. And yep. apparently no bites, no, right? No, bites. No, one's no one's moving into the, the Recycled Records spot because it might be too expensive. Yep. What's it like in Midtown for businesses that are trying to move in, right? So there are businesses, obviously, that are moving out. So are mm -hmm. there new businesses opening in Midtown? Are the commercial rents in Midtown viable for, for small businesses that are trying to move into that area? What does that look like kind of commercially for the, the various businesses in Midtown? We've seen quite a few businesses move out uh, because their landlords wanted to increase the rent and then nothing ends up happening with the space. The Antique Mall, it's quite a large building Gosh, I, I can't remember the address of it, but it's it's kind of right in the middle of Midtown. Mm -hmm. I believe it's called Antique Treasures or something like that. They were kicked out of their space and the building has remained vacant ever since. You know, Willie's Pasta Shop was supposed to open. <laughs> I've been waiting for that dang pasta for two <laughs> years now and I don't think it's going to happen. I definitely think that it's a cascading effect now that Midtown is what Midtown is. A lot of the landlords feel that they can ask for um, a lot higher rent. And a lot of businesses are displaced because of that. You know, luckily, I think Recycled Records has a large enough fan base that they're just going to follow Recycled Records wherever they, they go. 
Um, a lot of other businesses aren't quite so lucky. You know, Wedge Cheese Shop was a, an early victim of Midtown's rising rent prices that was uh, on St. Lawrence Avenue. That closed. Luckily, there were other businesses that came in that could afford the higher rents. It's just going to attract, I guess, a higher level of, of businesses coming in there who can afford those asking prices. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, Midtown Antiques just opened up where the adult bookstore used to be. The guy who owns that building actually opened that business. So I think that will be uh, pretty successful. He also owns the building across the street that Rum Sugar Lime and, and Pizzava and Wonder Ale Works is in. And so oh, okay. he had a personal vested interest in getting something in there besides an adult bookstore. <laughs> gotcha. <laughs> uh, before we do kind of like a little wrap up of anything else, there's one other project that I am curious for your take on because it's the one that I live closest to on the west side of downtown in the Riverside area is next to the hub. That project is coming closer to being done They're, They've got the mm-hmm. brick siding on it and it looks like it's uh, well on its way in a way that it wasn't when we talked last that one was a little bit controversial because there were some old trees, some large old trees Mm -hmm. that came down and also the scale of that building. I know some of the criticism was that it is not right sized for the neighborhood. It also blocks the view from some folks on Washington right behind the building. Mm -hmm. I tend to be a generally like pro density person Mm -hmm. and the idea of having a little bit more dense residential here on riverside i think it's probably good for the hub good for the neighborhood in my opinion what have you heard about that project or what are your thoughts on the development right next to the hub on riverside well much to uh patty egan's delight probably who is the developer of that urban lion investments i believe the company is called it hasn't received much publicity since the project was approved by the city council. It wasn't just the old trees and the scale of it as well that made it so controversial. What really kind of peeved the the residents around that area was the fact that that project was able to adopt a street abandonment and partial park abandonment that a previous project that was going to go on that lot called Ponte Vecchio had applied for, which was going to be a much smaller project that was more in scale that nobody really in the neighborhood had too much of an issue with. But because street abandonments follow a sale of a lot, whoever buys that lot also gets the street abandonment, whether the street was actually abandoned at that point or not. And so now, you know, Patty Egan comes along with a larger project that needs that street abandonment. He decided to use it That's kind of what caused so much controversy was everybody approving that project based on that, even though legally street abandonments follow the sale of a property. And that's why the city council needs to be so vigilant and restrictive when it comes to street abandonment, because once it's abandoned, it's it's done. And whether that project happens or not, whether that lot sells to a future developer or not, it will never come back. And so I think that was the main controversy with that project. The old mm-hmm. trees, of course, didn't help. That was just kind of like salt on the wound. But uh, the, the main point of contention was them just being able to adopt an abandonment that was meant for a previous project without having to have it reviewed by the council again. Mm, gotcha. What other projects are going on in Reno? What did we miss? What else do you want people to know or get up to date on? Sure. There is a a permit for some new senior apartments on Sutro and 7th Street just outside of downtown. That's really exciting because that's two uh, affordable senior housing projects straddling downtown right where they need to be because, you know, the center of the city is good for seniors who, especially those who don't drive, who have to rely on public transportation, way easier to get around the center of the city using public transportation than saying, you know, if you live way out by Summit Sierra Mall, for example. Mm -hmm. Another one that I'm really excited about is a new project on Spokane Street. There's a permit for a tentative map, which means they take a lot and they subdivide it into little sections means they're probably either going to build condos or townhomes or something where the person actually owns that property and doesn't rent it. So that's kind of exciting. That's going to be uh, 38 townhomes on the 500 block of Spokane, just off of fourth street. And then there's a lot of little projects that when you add them up together, make a significant difference. There's a 
fourplex on Ninth Street, for example. There's a fourplex on Claremont Street in the, the Wells Avenue area. The State Street project that's right next to Bertha Miranda's just went vertical. That's really exciting. That's going to be 88 additional units downtown. And I saw some staging at the Pine Street Townhomes project, which is on the corner of Sinclair and Pine Street. Ryder Homes originally was going to build townhomes there, got a lot of publicity. It was really exciting. And then they punted on the project and basically put the whole project as a package up for sale. Now I see some staging on there. So I think somebody might have bought that or they just decided to proceed. So that's really exciting too. So a lot of little smaller projects downtown, when added up, will add a lot of residents downtown. It's not just the big projects to you know keep an eye on. Awesome. Well, Mike, thanks for coming back on the show. I know it's been a while Absolutely. and it's good to, good to do a little bit of recap about what's happening in development. I'll talk about what I'd like mm-hmm. to see downtown or what we could do downtown, but you're doing a really good job of tracking what's actually happening I think that having someone really with their finger on the pulse of what permits are being pulled early stages of these plans really helps get that information out to people so that we can have an accurate view of what's actually happening. How can people find you and follow Downtown Makeover? Did you just rebrand? Your website looks new and fresh. It is. I did finally uh, finish my redesign of that website. It's a little difficult because I don't make or ask for any money off the website. There's no ads. And so it's kind of like, you know, a do in my free time type thing. So I did just redesign it. I'm on Twitter and Instagram as Downtown Makeover. And I'm also on Facebook as Downtown Makeover. And you can find my website, downtownmakeover.com. Well, thank you again for coming on the show. Good to catch up with you and learn about some of these projects. And uh, we'll have to do it again soon because there's so much going on. Absolutely. Thanks, Connor. Listeners, thank you as always for tuning in to this week's episode of Renoites, and special thanks to my guest, Mike Van Houten from Downtown Makeover. As I said, this is the last episode of the normal Renoites season, but I will have many episodes from the Riverside Farmers Market. I'm still doing live episodes. The next one is this Friday, July 7th, after Susicle at Reno Little Theater. We're doing a live post-show taping. That is at 9.30 following Susicle. You can get information on that from my social media or at renoites.com. And the next live taping at Black Rabbit Mead will be the last Thursday of this month at Black Rabbit Mead with Sierra Regional Roller Derby. So those are going to be a couple of really fun events that will be full episodes. But I'm also doing mini episodes and you can find me at the Riverside Farmers Market. That's Sundays from 8 to 1. And of course, if you're willing to help support the show financially, you can do that on Patreon. That's P-A-T-R-E-O-N dot com slash Renoites. That is the major way that I am able to continue doing this podcast. Takes a lot of time and a little bit of money to produce. So all of your patron donations are greatly appreciated. Thank you so much to some of our new patrons, too. I've had several folks sign up in just the last week or two, and I'm so grateful for your support. Again, that's Patreon dot com slash Renoites. And that's all I've got for you today. Have a good one.